Arthur, I, I don't know that you would realize this, but uh, Steve works really hard on these worship services, and uh, he works all week long. We hear him sing one song, and they decide, yeah, I'm going to do that, and he sings another one, and uh, there in the office, he's working on it all week long, and we appreciate the special work he does and uh, the way he leads worship here. I also want to affirm uh, Elizabeth, uh, always appreciate her children's sermon, and uh, I want to affirm what she said today. We uh, are not able to see everyone uh, every Sunday like, uh, like we, uh, we used to do. We haven't been able to see everyone, and it's, it's a good thing for us to find creative ways of communicating with one another, creative ways of, of contacting one another and, and that sort of thing. I want to affirm that and the difference that it makes. And I'm not surprised that you don't remember uh, ads on the TV. Uh, uh, you don't remember my sermon. So, you know, I, <laughs> I, uh, a couple of times I have uh, tested the people on the Wednesday night Bible study and I've said, uh, you remember what I said last Sunday? This is only three days later, You're, you realize that. This, you remember what I said last Sunday and nobody remembers. So if they remember anything, they remember a story I told probably, you know, so, uh, but nobody remembers. But uh, I'm not surprised that, that uh, you don't remember those things. Um, I, I, I do, I, I'm thankful today. We, we passed a little bit of a milestone today and I just want to share that with you. We, uh, we went over 100 in Sunday school today. And this is the first time since uh, the pandemic hit and we, uh, you know, we were out of uh, meeting together all together for a while and we met for a while and we were out of, we stopped again and then we came back together. This is the first time since all that happened that we've been over 100 in, in Sunday school. I'm really, uh, think that's, that's something to be thankful for. And I, I'm thankful for all of you that are here. It's a good group today. Appreciate your being here. Appreciate you being a part. Last week, we took a look at uh, John chapter 11, and I want to finish, uh, finish this story about Lazarus here in John chapter 11. If you have your Bible, you may want to turn there with me. Last week, we took a look at uh, the Lord's uh, discussions with his disciples about, about um, uh, what was happening with Lazarus. And you remember, he got the word that he was sick. He waited. Um, and and uh, then he said, he said to his disciples, uh, I'm glad for your sake that this happened because uh, I want you to be believers. And then we also talked about his conversation with Martha. You, if you, I'm just sort of uh, rehearsing this with you. We talked about his conversation with Martha. Martha, really a woman of faith, which I was glad to um, see that and be able to talk about that. And we ended last Sunday with uh, the great verses, the really... Um, in one sense the word at least the pinnacle of this entire passage in verses 25 and 26 Jesus said to her I'm the resurrection and the life the one who believes in me will live even though they die and whoever lives by believing in me will never die it's a double negative never never die uh, do you believe this I said to you last week I'd repeat it again today for me personally as far as the comforting uh, at the time of uh, the death of a loved one or thinking about uh, eternal life, the most comforting passage in the, in the entire Bible for me are these two verses, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never, never die. I think that if we, if we were able to look at the life we live here on the earth from the perspective of heaven, 
it would make a difference in our attitude about all the things that we have to face. If we could see life here that we're living now in the middle of, if we could see it from the viewpoint of heaven, it would make a, a tremendous difference. I read this week about uh, a man named Burke, and this man was able to, uh, for a moment, in a special experience with God, experience being with the Lord in heaven, looking down on the earth and what was happening. And the first thing he said to him was, he said, Lord, why do you let so much suffering happen? And the Lord says it has to do with free will, and some people choose to do bad things, and that, all, that often affects those of us that are, that are part of the family. And so we're hurt often uh, by that one way or another. Well, why don't you do something about it, Lord, Bert said. And the Lord said, I do do something about it. I always do something about it. Maybe not immediately, but I always do something about it. You just don't see all the things. You don't know about all the things that I do. But I always do something about it. And then uh, Bert looked down and he said, see that man down there? He's really suffering. And he looks like he's about to die. And the Lord said, that's John. And John's one of our friends, one of my friends, part of, my, part of our family, one of my friends. And you cannot believe the wonderful conversations we have together, he and I, when, we, when, we, when he prays and when he talks to me. It's just wonderful. And looking close at the Lord, he realized that the Lord was weeping, holding back tears. And the Lord said, you might want to watch this. And he called Gabriel, the head angel down, and he said to Gabriel, he said, I'm going to go down now and welcome John, and I want you to prepare the party. Ben Williams uh, went to the funeral of his, his uh, sister this last week. And as, as you know, in, in the funeral services, they often give a, a video presentation and the last picture that they showed was a picture of, of uh, his sister and her husband. It was taken from behind them as they were walking out. They were walking down a hallway there, and they were, they were going outside, and you could see the light out there. You could see what was happening. That was the last picture that they saw. And folks, when we're walking toward the light, that's not a bad thing. It's just not. And if we could see life from the, our life from the perspective of heaven, it'd make a difference in our thoughts, make a difference in our words, make a difference in our actions. It'd make a difference for us uh, all, all the way around. Some comments about this. Roy Lauren, one of the great uh, preachers from the time go by, said, It's no tragedy to be with Christ and God in heaven for all eternity. Leslie Weatherhead, the great preacher, the great English preacher, death is a gateway to a fuller communion with Christ and with the blessed dead. I'm the resurrection and the life, Jesus said. He that believes in me, though we, though we were dead, yet shall he live, and whosoever lives that believes in me shall never, ever die. Beautiful, beautiful words. And then, as we said, uh, the last part of his conversation with Martha is in verse 27. And we see again, I talked to you last week at some extent about what a faithful man, woman of faith she was. And we see uh, in her very terminology here, she says, yes, Lord. Uh, yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, 
the Son of God who is to come into the world. So she uses these four terms in that brief verse that speak to the, uh, the greatness of God. Lord, uh, the Old Testament people, of course, when they said Lord, they meant God. And uh, they meant the name of God. And in the New Testament, sometimes it means God and sometimes it means master, but either one would be fine here. And then she says, you're the Messiah, the promised one. You're the son of God and you're the one who is to come. That's the word from, from uh, Moses in uh, Deuteronomy 18:15, where he said, uh, the Lord will send you a prophet like me. And so uh, he was the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. And she related all of that. What a, what a woman of, of faith she was and, and just full of faith. And then in verses 28 to 37, we have this conversation with Mary. First, verse 28, Martha calls her. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. And when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. Uh, Mary, by the picture we have of Mary, uh, the sister of Martha, all in the New Testament, uh, she was always worshiping God, always worshiping the Lord one way or another. She fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Now, I want you to remember that's pretty much the same, the same thing that, that, uh, that Martha said. Martha said if, back in verse 21, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, when she first saw him, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And now Mary's saying the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. In other words, what they're saying is, Lord, if you just answered our call, if you had answered our response, if you had answered our prayer the way we wanted you to answer, our brother would be okay. Uh, Lord, it's sort of a, it's sort of a hidden uh, saying, Lord, why did you not answer our prayer? Why did you not come? Why did you not come when we called you? They had no idea that the Lord was going to do something greater, something more important, something that would blow their minds. They had no idea that that's what he was going to do. All they could see was that he did not answer the prayer the way they called You'd be surprised, probably, those of you in this service, I speak for those that are online as well, how many responses I got last week from people who were not in the service but were watching us on Facebook, how many people responded to me. It made a difference in my prayer life when you said that last week. And, you know, we think, we pray, we think God is supposed to, you know, the answer to prayer would be to give us what we ask for. He doesn't always give us what we ask for. Sometimes he gives us something something far greater. It's the same words Mary uses that Martha did. And then it said, uh, verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Now, they, they were, this word for weeping here, the first, when Jesus saw her weeping, it's weeping and wailing. Weeping and wailing. And even today, if you go to the east, east uh, of the globe, uh, the eastern countries, when someone dies, they not only weep, but they cry out loudly. I mean, they cry out, they wail. They, they just, uh, they have all this demonstration of, of grief and they demonstrate their grief. That's just the way they do it. And, uh, and the way we do it here, we tend to hold all that inside. If you want to know truth, psychologically speaking, it's probably better to, to, to have a way of wailing and letting it out and, and expressing it. 
We tend to hold everything inside. But that's what they were doing. They were, they were wailing. They were weeping. They were, wailing. They were, they were uh, being very loud with their weeping. Uh, and he was deeply moved in spirit and trouble. Now, the moved, the, in the New Testament times, when they talk about being moved, people were talking about being sick with their stomachs. Their emotions, they thought, were in their stomachs. We tend to think that our emotions are in our heart, and so we think a little bit differently. But he was, he was deeply moved. He was always sick to his stomach because of his move. And then it says he was, he was moved in spirit and troubled. And the word, for tr the word for troubled here is a word that says he snorted like a, like a horse that snorts. He snorted. Uh, you've seen someone who was being moved to tears as they began to be moved to tears. They just sort of, sort of snorted as they, as they were moved to tears. And this is just exactly what, what it, it says that Jesus was doing. And uh, he was deeply moved. Uh, I would like, if we were to put this in language that would be meaningful in our life, we would say, uh, his heart was hurting. His heart was hurting. And then when it says that he was crying, it would, said, it would say something like, when our hearts hurt, his heart hurts. And this is a vision of, of Christ, a vision of, of God that all of, us, all of us need to see. All of us need to understand that when we weep, he weeps with us. When we weep, the Lord weeps with us. Now, we're part of the family. We're his children. And when we weep, he weeps with us. I got two kids, seven grandkids, and when one of them is weeping, you know what? I weep with them. And you know exactly what we're talking about. And when we weep as his children... He weeps with us. We say, well, God just doesn't care. Well, that may have been a little bit of what they would say. He didn't give them what they wanted. Maybe they were thinking God doesn't care. But he did care. And it was a sign of love. And he was weeping along with them. And so he said, where have you laid him? And they said, come and see. And then verse 35, he wept. Now, his weeping was not loud and weeping. It was sort of a quiet weeping. It was a... It was maybe when you see someone with tears running down their face, something like that. Uh, that was the kind of weeping that Jesus was doing. But it's, it's, it's you know, when I was in RAs years ago, we, we always, we had to quote a verse of scripture. And, uh, and the verse where all of us wanted to get first was Jesus wept because that was the shortest one and the easiest one, right? And it's the shortest verse in the Bible. There's no doubt about it. But it is one of the most meaningful verses in the Bible. When we weep, he weeps with us. It's so so important. Two other times in the Bible it says he weeps. Uh, Luke 19, 41, uh, when he said, stood and looked over Jerusalem and wept over them because they had rejected him. And then in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, speaking about uh, his, his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, talked about him weeping with tears. These are the three times in the Bible it talks about Jesus weeping. Uh, some of the great uh, translators, Robertson, said this is the shortest verse in the Bible. But no verse carries more meaning. William says he burst into tears. Mount says it's a tenderest description of his human nature to be found in all the Gospels. He weeps. He weeps from like a little boy who went to, to see the next door neighbor who'd lost a loved one, lost his son. And he went to see him and uh, he came back and someone said, what did you say to him? And he said, I didn't say anything. I just helped him cry. Just helped him cry. Joe Bailey lost three sons. 
Joe Beta was a great Christian speaker and writer. He lost three sons. And we lost the third one. So one guy came, and all he did was talk. He wanted to talk. He wanted to talk theology. And he wanted to talk about how Joe should be feeling and all this stuff. He just wanted to talk. And so another one came and sat with him and didn't say a word, but wept with him. And that's the one that comforted him. When we weep, Jesus weeps. And God weeps. He weeps with us and for us. It's a beautiful picture. Verse 36, then the Jews said, see how he loved him. It was a sign of his love, obviously. But some of them said, could not he have opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? See, they had, this is the negative part of it, but they had the same kind of response. Everybody expected the answer to prayer to be, you do what we want you to do. You do what we ask you to do, Lord. None of them had any idea that what he was going to do was far greater than anything they imagined. None of them had that idea at all. Now, verses 38 through 42, we talk about, we talk about his, his uh, uh, talking with Lazarus, his conversation with Lazarus. Verse 38, Jesus once more was deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. I, I'm, I'm, I'm moved by these, these signs that, that, uh, that uh, John shows. This is the seventh of the signs, and by far the most important of those signs. But in every one of the signs, uh, these are the miracles Jesus did. It seemed like he wanted to do this in cooperation with, with people, with the people he was dealing with. I told you before, I said this for what, three or four weeks now, God wants to do his work in cooperation with us. God wants to do his work in partnering with us. He wants us to partner with him in what he does. God chooses to, God does not need us, but he wants to do his work in partnership with us. And that's, that's just a, a vital thing that all of us need to keep in our minds. And, and we studied the turning the water into wine and, and in that case, you know, he asked the servants to go and fill the, fill the jars up with, uh, the pots up with, with water. Uh, did he have to do that? No. Did he need them to do that? No. But he chose to do this work in cooperation with them. They had their part. In this particular, this particular story, he, he tells them to take away the stone. Now, Oscar Kuhlman, who's one of the, uh, he's uh, passed away now, but he's still one of the most, uh, most read uh, theologians anywhere. Oscar Kuban uh, says, in John, there's always more than one meaning. In John, in the Gospel of John, there's always more than one meaning. The material meaning and the spiritual meaning, those two things are always there. The material meaning and the spiritual meaning are there. And so if we look at this spiritually, if we spiritualize this just for, just for a moment, it's not hard to say, uh, you know, we don't know what kind of a great miracle God wants to do. We really, we really have no idea. You know, he's able to do abundantly, uh, significantly beyond anything we ask or even imagine, according to Ephesians 3.20. We, we don't know uh, what it is that God wants us to do. But sometimes God wants us to do something so it could happen. And in that case, he wanted the stone to be rolled away so he could call Lazarus and Lazarus could walk out of it. Now, now, I don't know what it is, but in our personal lives, in our personal lives, in our church life, in our family lives, we may be asking God for something, and God may be saying to us, take away the stone. I don't know what the stone may be. Maybe you know 
what the stone might be in your case. But God wants us to take away the stone. Whatever it is that stands in the way of him doing what he wants to do in our family. Something that might blow our minds in our personal life, in our church. It's important for us to hear that. It's important for us to take a look around. What is the stone that needs to be taken away? Take away the stone so that the miracle can happen. So we can call Lazarus back to life. If you look down in verse, uh, look down at verse 41, it says they took the stone away. Take the stone away. Did, did Jesus need to ask them? No, he could have just spoken a word and moved the stone. But he wanted them to take the stone away so he could do this wonderful work that he was going to do. And so it is with you and me. So it is in our lives. And then Martha responds, verse 39. But Lord, the sister of the dead, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he's been there four days. Now the details are important here. All the details are important. Four days is important. Because back in that day, they thought that you might be resuscitated within three days. And if you weren't resuscitated within three days, then you were sure enough dead. And so the whole point of talking about the four days is the point that there wasn't any question that Lazarus was dead. You know, Jesus had already told the disciples he was dead. But there wasn't any question that he was dead. And they didn't, they didn't do like, they didn't embalm and all the stuff that we do today. They had their funerals quickly. And, and he said, you know, you take away the stone. Now, now, Martha was a woman of faith. I, I, I've tried to stress that for two Sundays now. Martha was a woman of tremendous faith. But she still did not see the great, wonderful thing God was going to do. And, uh, and, and all of us, the people of faith, need to understand that. Verse 40, Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? This is the glory of God. I want you to see today that beyond a miracle, beyond not letting his friend stay dead, but bringing his friend back to life, the miracle of giving this, this brother back to his, to his sisters and back to his family and even back to Jesus himself who was his friend, that miracle is not the end result. Because this is what John says in his signs. All signs point to the Lord. And what we, you know, I said last Wednesday night, you, you know, if, if I come out of Valley Mills coming across here and I see the sign that says, uh, you know, Clifton 10 miles, I'd stop there and say I've arrived. No, I haven't gotten there yet. I'm, I'm on my way to Clifton. And if we stop at the sign, we miss the most important point and the most important point is the glory that's going to be gained to God. That God, through this miracle, is going to show Jesus Christ to be all that he says he is. That God's going to show Jesus Christ to be the Messiah, the Son of God, and all of that. And the glory belongs to God. Now, a lot of times people say the glory belongs to God, and we think, oh, yeah, I've heard that so many times, it doesn't mean anything. Well, we need to mean it. And we need to see the glory of what the sign is and what the miracle is that happened. In verse 41, they took away the stone. And Jesus looked up and he prayed. Jesus prayed. Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe. Now, go to John chapter, chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. He says, 
Jesus did a whole lot of more miracles that I put in this book, but these that I put in this book are written here so that you may believe. And over, back up in chapter 13, uh, uh, 15, when he's talking to his disciples, he says, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad because I'm going to go do something special so that you can believe in me. Now, in this case, he's praying, and he's praying that these people will see the sign and believe in him. This, uh, this believing in him, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. As you know, it teaches First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 and following, that when Jesus comes again, he will descend with the shout of the, of the archangel and a loud voice he will shout. And then in John chapter 5, verse 35, says the same thing, 25 says the same thing, that he will, he will shout, and when he shouts, the dead will, will come forth out of their graves. And someone said the reason in this case that he shouted Lazarus because if he, if, he shout, if he hadn't said Lazarus, all the dead people would have come forth. Come forth. And the dead man walked out of the grave. Now again, uh, we, see, we see the importance of this. It, 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 there's a physical thing taking place. And I, I don't want to make that small at all. It's a huge deal. There's a, there's a physical thing taking place. But there's also a spiritual meaning for John. Remember, there's also a spiritual meaning for John. And this is what happens to us when we become Christians. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, uh, We were dead. When you were dead in your trespasses and sin, he made you alive. By grace, you have been saved. Or, or in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, verses 4, 5, and 6, where he said, uh, God, who, who, who by a word that he said spoke light, light into the darkness, has has spoken into our heart's light, and we have the light of the glory of God within our hearts. And so we have the picture here of what it means to become a Christian. And the song that we sing, it's, it's uh, not really a new song. First time I ever heard it was here, but not really a new song. But, you know, he called my name, and I came out of that grave. Now, if these kids here are singing this, singing this song, they're all laughing at me because they know that they're the first ones I heard say, say, sing this. Uh, but the point, the point that I want to make is, if, if, you know, we, we sing down here, he called my name and I came out of that grave. That's not the way they're singing when they sing it with the young people. When they sing it with the young people, they shout it. He called my name and I came out of that grave. I came out of the darkness into his new day, his beautiful day, into the light. Of the Lord. This is the picture of all of us, is it not? He calls our name, we respond, and He gives us new life. And we're born again. And the same one that calls our name so that we can be born again is the one someday that will call our name when we go to be with Him forever in heaven. Now, He came out, again, this is pictorial, I want you to pick up on it. He came out of there, and he had all these. By the way, wouldn't you like to have been there? Wouldn't you like to have seen this? Can you imagine what happened with those people that were there? I want to guarantee you their eyes were wide. I imagine there some of them that fell on their knees and prayed. 
I've been there, some of them that ran. Can you imagine how they felt when that dead man, dead four days, came walking out of that grave? I mean, can you, can you see this picture? I imagine there were some of them that raised their hands and praised God. Oh, what a, be what a beautiful picture. I wish I could have been there. I wish I could have seen that. It would have been so deep. And just watch the people to see their response. So he came out of the grave. You don't, and spiritually, you don't. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. But all things don't become new in, in that instant. He becomes new inside in that instant. But he's got some growing to go. And so, so he comes out. He's still dressed in his grave clothes. Still dressed. And, and, and what, what does it? Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And this is exactly what happens in, 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 when somebody becomes a Christian. They become a Christian. I mean, they, they've still got, they've still got the, the, their, their grave clothes on. And what we must do is help them be able to take off their grave clothes and, and put on new clothes. In Ephesians chapter 4, it talks about this. Uh, verses 20, 22, uh, 24, that, that we are to take off the old man, right? We're to take it off like an old suit. And we're to put on the new man, right? Like just, just like, a, just like a, a new suit. We're to take off the old clothes. We're to put on the new clothes. And, uh, and be renewed in the spirit of our mind. That's in verse 23 in the middle of it. Take off the old clothes, verse 22. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind, 23. Uh, put on the new clothes. But, and, and what leads into this is he's saying to them, you must do as you're taught. And this is our business when someone becomes a Christian is to teach them how to put on the new clothes. This is what we call making disciples. We are to teach them. They learn about, you know, Go ye therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them and teaching them, teaching them to observe all the right things. Take off the old, put on the new. Take off the gray clothes. Let him put on clothes of living people. That's, that's the picture here. Well, the last part has to do with the results. And so in verse 45, uh, there's this great divide. Many of the Jews had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. Verse 46, but some of them did not. The great divide. Jesus is always the great divide. Our response to Jesus Christ is always the great divide. It was the great divide in that day. It's the great divide in this day. Our response to Jesus Christ is the great divide. This is what divides people. And at the end of time, according to the New Testament, in time, they will be divided. And it will be because of their response to Jesus is the division, the great divide. So they went to the Pharisees. Told them what Jesus had done. Chief priests and Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. The irony of this. I, I, I want you to catch the irony of this. So they killed him because they were afraid the Romans would come and destroy the temple and destroy the nation. And in AD 70, the Roman general Titus marched into Jerusalem and destroyed the temple and all of Jerusalem and destroyed the nation. And the temple's not been rebuilt again until today. It's still not rebuilt. Nothing but the wall that was around it stands. And not only that, the nation did not come into being again until at the end of World War II when the British people 
revised the nation of Israel. The irony of this. We got to get rid of him because the Romans are going to come in and destroy us. Roman, they got rid of him and the Romans came in and destroyed Classic case, by the way, of missing the point. And then it goes on. One of them, verse 49, one of them named Caiaphas, who was the great high priest, who was the high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize it's better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. This is what I call the gospel of the enemy. One die for all. So that all don't have to die. Verse 51, he did not say this on his own, but his high priest that year he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation and not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. Why is it important that the high priest said that? Because the high priest was the one that always made the sacrifice for forgiveness of sins every year at the Day of Atonement. It was the high priest that made that sacrifice. To John, it was important that the high priest said this. This was a prophetic statement from the one who did that. Whether he knew it or not, whether he agreed with it or not, it was a prophetic statement from him. I want to conclude the sermon today, study, whatever. I want to conclude this uh, by telling it, uh, Eugene O'Neill wrote a short story called Lazarus Laughed. You remember I started, I said we need to, have a, we need to live our lives with, with the heavenly perspective, with the perspective from heaven, with a viewpoint from heaven. A little short story called Lazarus Laughed. When Lazarus came back, he was different. He was changed. He had been with the Lord. He was different. He was changed. They said things would happen. People would get into a fight with one another, big argument, arguing with one another. And Lazarus would laugh because he knew from a heavenly perspective it wasn't really important what happened with that fight. Things would happen. Things would be discouraged. People would want to turn around and give up and everything else. And Lazarus would laugh. He would laugh because he knew from the viewpoint of heaven this is not really a big deal. What a difference it would make if we could live in our lives, if we could live with a heavenly viewpoint. What a difference in life it would make. I often thought about Lazarus. I wonder if you'd ask Lazarus, did he want to come back or not? He just might have said no. The viewpoint from heaven. Let's pray. God, teach us from your word, I pray. Teach us from this great, great story. So many points. All of them important. Teach us, I pray. Help us. Every one of us in this room, help us. Those who are watching, help us to do what we can to gain the viewpoint from heaven. Let us see these these things that happen in our lives. Let us see them from your viewpoint and get a heavenly perspective 
on all these things. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to sing. Have time of invitation and altar call. Uh, this is the time for you to respond. You don't have to come forward. If you want to come forward, I'll be here to try to talk with you and pray with you, but you don't have to come forward. You can, but this is the time in a service where it's a time for you to search your heart and respond. And I encourage you not to say no to God. Do whatever it is God leads you to do. Right now as we sing. <laughs>